Hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, our regular podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. Back in 2010, we asked Detroit House DJ and producer Moody Man to the Academy in London. He doesn't do interviews much, and we honestly weren't sure what might happen. What we got was a bit more than we bargained for. Moody Man rolled in with an entourage of four women, one of whom braided his hair throughout the chat. But Benji B, a longtime lecture host for the Academy, was game, and he got what we think was a pretty fascinating insight into Moody Man's universe. For those of you who haven't heard it yet, we think it's one well worth revisiting. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. As a recording artist, we know you best as Moody Man, says here, produced by Moody Man. That's a lie on that record. (laughs) No, what that is is just a bunch of extra uh, uh, stickers. And I got a little sister that was nine years old and tapped every one of my records with that goddamn Moody Man sticker. She put them stickers on everything. Refrigerator, car doors, laptops. She put that motherfucker on everything. So you allowed to find that sticker anywhere in my house and her room. So tell us about Moody Man. Where did that name come from? Did you choose that? Were you Chris? Nah, that? hell no. Nah. It was originally Moody, which I'm slowly bringing back to Moody. It's just a neighborhood situation. You know, when you grew everybody had nicknames growing up. Moody was my little hit back in the day. Everybody was Moody, Moody. And it just kind of stuck. And one day I was in a record store and they just said, man, you should put Moody, man. Moody's whack or Moody's this. So I just put Moody, man. It just kind of stuck. But I prefer Moody. The people that know me in the D would probably call me Moody. Or they might call me House sometimes too. Where'd you get that nickname from? Why do they call you Moody? Well, it had nothing to do with that situation. Just everybody had a motherfucking nickname. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I, I, that's a good question. I don't remember not having a name, really. It was just always moody at certain points in my life. You know, when you're young, you don't know where that shit come from half the time. So when did you first start putting records out as Moody Man? Good question. I think the original first one was 92. I could be wrong. You know, yeah, shit. Um, the first one to probably get over here was probably 93, 94 to make it over here, you know. I didn't know shit was being even sold over here, you know. But I'm about to say 92. And what kind of feedback did you get when you put your first record Terrible. Out? Nothing. Yeah. Whack. And I got a lot of feedback on the fucking record because I didn't know you only had 12 minutes and 15 minutes on one side. Nigga, my shit was about 30 minutes on one side. You put that motherfucker on, it wasn't nothing but feedback. But you learn as you go on, you know. So that was a great mistake that I learned. Then the motherfuckers that, that do records never even told me that. But you learn from those kind of experiences. And what, what was the turning point that made you think that you actually wanted to, you know, do music and actually release it? Shit, I'm still turning that point. I mean, you know, I there was no turning point. I mean, you in Detroit. There's no one in Detroit that don't either sell records, buy records, listen to records. There's no one in Detroit that don't work for a car company, live through a car company. There's no one in Detroit that don't have no church on their corner and a liquor store right next to it. You understand? In Detroit, you either been shot, you're going to shoot somebody, or someone was shooting at you. You understand? So as far as music, that's just something 
you grow up with. As a child, you don't know your environment. You don't know what's around you. You don't know that motherfucker upstairs making all that noise could be the next Bootsy Collins. You understand? It's just everywhere. You know, that's just a cycle. And so when you see it everywhere, you know, how did you make the decision that you wanted to do your own label, your own imprint? Were there other avenues that you could have released your music? Well, uh, you know, back in the 80s, we all do stuff for everybody else and they going to fuck you. Let's be for real. You know, you got to learn how to deal with that. Who did you deal with back in the 80s? Well, I'm going to let everybody else figure that out some other time. I'm not going to even issue out that point. But when you do when you do things for people, it is a learning process. That's why we are here now. It's a learning process. You get to hear other people's stories. You get to hear other people's tragic endeavors. You get to hear what other people went through. You also get to hear success stories. And you add them to your situation. Well, how can this benefit me? How can this, you know, help my situation out? My endeavor was the same as everybody else. You have to learn by not sitting in no classroom. You have the best, the best classroom in the world is the biggest classroom. And that's out here, you know. You have to learn from, you know, environmental situations, going through things. And I've learned from getting fucked all the time through record labels and all that shit, producing all that shit back in, back in the day. You don't even get credit for that shit. So, you know, you, you get your hustle on, do your thing, and you start your own shit, you know? Are you talking about sort of ghost producing for other people? Or are you talking about signing your stuff to majors or what? Nah, I don't fuck with the majors too much. It's like a lot of people. I mean, I, I can't see myself giving away my babies like that. You know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna lie. I should have about 20 Cadillacs sitting outside for these ladies to be riding in. But at the same time, you got to make some kind of impressions. And a good reason why I started my label, because there was no way I could help my environment in my own neighborhood if I can't help my motherfucking self. How am I going to get these motherfuckers down the street that ain't got no money about to go to a prom need shoes? How am I going to help them out if I ain't got nothing to offer? You understand? So I had to make an adjustment in my life to make sure I get a little bit of money or get something going on so I can clean up some of these parks, help out some of these kids, and take care of some of these neighborhoods up in this motherfucker. So that was my decision. So you decided not to only release your own music, but you released other people's records as well? Well, yeah, you got to help everybody else out. I mean, you know, you got to. I mean, it's hard out there. And you got a lot of talent out there. And I have to honestly say, some of the best musicians on this planet, we probably will never hear. They're in the basements. They ain't got no money. You know, they're going to have to get jobs elsewhere and probably some of the baddest motherfuckers in the world. Unfortunately... Some of the wackest producers in the world, we're going to hear all the time. Because it's all about who you know, in most cases. You know, so that's the situation. Thank you, baby. You're doing it so well. I love you. <laughs> so um, tell us a couple of names of some of the people that you, that, you know, people that you put on through KDJ Music. You released a few artists through that label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we know all of them. Uh... Of course, there's Rick, there's Sherrod, there's Urban Tribe. Let me think. There's Case Stone, Dogmatic, Promatic. Uh, there's Theo. There's Three Chairs. Um, I mean, you're talking about a, a list here, baby. Um, you know, I don't want to forget nobody, but that's going to that's gonna be the case right now. 
But a lot of the music on your label is predominantly you or produced by you. Well, anything goes through my label, I'm going to put my firm hand on. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's a reflection on Detroit. So, yeah, I'm going to slap that motherfucker real good. So, some kind of way. And KDJ and Mahogany Music, is that two imprints of the same label? Or? Well, KDJ, you're going to find KDJ on there more. So, Mahogany Music is an outland, an outreach for other artists and other people that can be on KDJ. KDJ is mainly restricted for that motherfucker, KDJ. You know, but Mahogany Music is something we branch out to. It's a door for everybody. You know, if we, if these young ladies up here give me the okay to release the artist that sent us a CD or something, if I can help them, you know, if they're willing to work with my little small-ass amount of a, a budget plan, well, then I have no problem helping them out. And KDJ Records is still alive. As long as I'm standing here in front of these people, that motherfucker's still kicking ass. So how many years is that? 92. Is that 92? I think that's... Could be 93. So so 17 or 18 years. We'll say 93. Well, that's... I, I think that achievement alone deserves a round of applause. I didn't say 90. I didn't say 17, 16 good years now. I just said 16. But thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. But seriously, how tough is it now sort of keeping an independent, you know, record label alive? I personally never had a problem with it. And I still to this date don't have a problem with it. You have to understand, I've never pressed up a lot of motherfucking records. I'm not into this to, to press up a mass amount of records. I'm not into this to be traveling around the motherfucking world. I'm not into this to press to impress anybody. I'm into this for my own heart and soul. A lot of people, after work, you got to go home, you take a bath. A lot of people go home, you fuck your wife. A lot of people go home, you cut your grass. I go home, and I fuck that motherfucker NPC all fucking night. You understand? I probably... I'll probably release probably 10% of the stuff I actually do. Just because I go home and turn it on and fuck with it doesn't mean I'm making a track for the next EP. It's just something I like to touch and feel. It feels good to me. You know, a lot of people ask me, am I married? Or how come you got all these women around you and all this? No. These are beautiful women that help me inspire myself. My bitches and my hoes is my NPCs. My uh, SB1200, my bass, my keyboard, them are my bitches, and them are my hoes. I turn them motherfuckers on at night. I turn them bitches off at night. Them bitches go out there and make my motherfucking money. I send them bitches over there to take care of my business. That's why I'm here. They're my hoes. And that's how I feel about that situation. You understand? So that's, that's my impressive technology been on that. You understand, baby? Well, seeing as we're on the subject of equipment, you know, everyone in this room is uh, musicians, producers, and so on. Um, what kind of, um, you know, back, if you go back to 93, 94, what kind of equipment were you using to make your first records, and, and how has Man, that changed anything over Anything I could borrow. I ain't gonna lie. I don't think I own nothing. You go over motherfucker house. I went in Guitar Center, quietly testing out something, so they thought. Nigga, I had my cassette, and was in there making a track. I spent about an hour on it and put that motherfucker out about six months later. <laughs> That's true. Uh, anywhere I could get acknowledgement from. I mean, I, I put two tape decks together and made a, you know. So you made, you made a 12-inch in Guitar Center in, inside the store? Yeah, it was whack. It, it was nothing to talk about. I don't even think I pressed up more than 20 of them. But I'm going to tell you something. 
And, wait, hold on, baby, just for a second. I'm going to tell you something. It ain't what you got. It's what you do with what you have. You understand? And it ain't what you do. It's how you do it. And that goes with anything. I don't care if you're out here selling dope. Do it well. I don't care if you're out here selling pussy. Fuck it well. You understand? It's not what you do. It's how you do it. And it ain't, who gives a fuck what that motherfucker say? Who gives a fuck what that motherfucker say? You have to be comfortable with yourself at the end of the night. Because that motherfucker over there ain't paying your bills. That motherfucker over there, you don't know that motherfucker from Adam Scratch. You have to be comfortable in what you do. And whatever you do, do it well. When you leave here, what you do, do it well. It ain't what you got. It's what you do what you have. You know, you could take a tape deck and a motherfucking record and make the baddest track tomorrow. And these motherfuckers sitting up here with million-dollar studios ain't making shit. And I'm sure you hear it all day on the radio. You know, that's something for y'all to think about. And just take heave. I ain't saying y'all got to believe everything I do because I make a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of U-turns. I made a lot of, a lot of wrong way avenues down the wrong streets. And I'm blessed to be here. Truly blessed. And I ain't going to sit here and show you my tattoos because I ain't got no motherfucking tattoos on my body. Every hole, every bullet, every knife on my body, Detroit City done gave me enough motherfucking tattoos on my body. I don't, I'd be damned if I pay for any of that shit. And I ain't going to sit here and take my shirt off and show you all that shit. Again, it ain't what you do, it's how you do it. Okay? Come on, pay me too. So, so technology is not important to you in terms of equipment and you haven't like with the success of your records you haven't gone and bought the shit that you wanted to have in the first place what how how has your setup changed i know people want to know that i got the same bullshit i had i still got a dad a dad player i got a real but motherfuckers can't fix it no more i'm mad real, about that real to real right i got three pcs i got uh still fuck with my sp 1200 um then what do I got? I got a Rose keyboard, but who don't? But that's my baby. And I just can't give, you know, you grew up with these things. I ain't taking these motherfuckers out. You know, that's the reason why I'm here now. A lot of people like Detroit. Everybody I know wants to move out of Detroit or don't want to be in Detroit. Detroit is a dying city. Well, I'm going to die with that motherfucker. You understand? If it wasn't for Detroit, I wouldn't be the motherfucker I am today. You know, so I'm not leaving my baby. I'm going to stick with it. If that motherfucker fall down to the ground, well, y'all pray for me because I'm going to fall with that motherfucker. You understand? It seems that in Detroit, there's, you know, there's a, a number of names that always pop up on your records and around you, like a community of musicians like, you know, Amp Fiddler, Norma Jean Bell, people around you. Tell us about those people and your collaborations. Uh, well, that's my family. Anything they want to do, we just do it. We just cut it down the middle. You know, if they feel like popping on some shit. We just pop on some shit. And, you know, have like Amp, he'll just come over when I'm recording something. He just starts singing, doing this shit. And it just works out that way. Uh, Norma Jean Bell, I usually go to her house. She's always cooking some pasta, some shit she be making. And we just end up in the studio. She always got something for me to listen to. But on the same thing, I always got something for her to listen to. And we just work things out that way. There's nothing pre-planned, which is always good. Don't get me wrong, we do pre-plan a lot of stuff, but we just kind of work things out, you know, however that comes. 
And I know that Amp Thank was you, quite instrumental in bringing bringing through quite a few people. I know you're a big supporter of of Dilla's music as well, and he was involved in in that, right? Right, right, most definitely. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in terms of Detroit, if you can put us in the place of your influences, you just explain how passionate you are about your hometown and how it made you. Musically speaking, can you name some sort of DJs and producers maybe from when you were coming up that really had a massive influence? Mojo. I would say Mojo. Uh, Marvelous Marv. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's, a, that's a long list. I used to listen to WJZZ, you know. You know, our radio stations were quite different from other radio stations. There was really no such thing as a... We had soul stations, don't get me wrong. That was really on the AM. But like radio stations today, they either play one genre or middle. You know, Detroit back, I mean, they play some B-52s and come back with some Peter Frampton and the hot new George Clinton is in. You know, we didn't have segregated radio stations. Don't get me wrong, Detroit is an all-black city. Don't get it mis misled. But that don't mean we listen to that. Hell, I thought Kraftworks was four niggas. I ain't gonna lie to you. <laughs> Until I bought that album. You know, and because Trans Europe Express used to be, like we say, a skate jam. Now that was classic. That was a classic motherfucking record. And we thought that shit came from out of Detroit for the longest. It wasn't until what? Uh, the Robots album. And we looked on there and we, we was like, well, what do these niggas got all this makeup on for? And we thought that was some clown shit. You know what I'm saying? We was cool with that. And then we saw videos and we were like, these motherfuckers is from. Yeah, we had no clue, but we still love, love the music. What I'm trying to say, before we even knew where they were from, color had nothing to do with it. We just loved the music. And then right after that, you have Psychedelic Furs. Me, personally, I'm an avid Robert Plant, Led Zeppelin, Nutcat, you know. I kill for them, that motherfucking music, but they used to play that shit, Peter Frampton, you know. And then you got your George Clinton, your William Devons, your Marvin Gaye, you know, they, they all play right after one another. Then late night, that's when, like in the 80s, late 70s, mid-80s. Now, late night, that's where all they'll play, the, I guess we would call house, which in Detroit we call progressive music. You know, that's where you get all that up-tempo shit or some, you know, he'll just play a lot of up-tempo stuff and then we adapt it to the club stuff. That also includes uh, that industry music back in this day, industrial music, rather. You know, we used to play a lot of that shit. What was that, Front 242, all that shit. We, we grew up to all of that shit. You know what I'm saying? Which, which was a blessing to us. That's why a few of us today got so much knowledge, you know. And it's a shame that a lot of people just listen to hip-hop or will just listen to rock. And that's all they want to listen to. Y'all old enough up here. Y'all remember the first time y'all had sex. You mean to tell me you still fucking that same motherfucker? You understand what I'm saying? It's a blessing to have experience. You understand? It's a true blessing. And you got to share all of that. You know, you got to have witness to everything, you know. You don't know what's around that corner if you don't peek around that motherfucker. You know, you got to hear and listen and keep an open mind about things, you know. And that's what our DJs used to give us. Today it's a little different, you know. You're going to hear that same motherfucking record, not right now, but give it about 20 minutes, that motherfucker going to be right back home. You know, brainwash your motherfucking ass. And I ain't going to lay a lot of that shit I do like. I like steak and potatoes. I can't eat that shit all day, every fucking day, though. You understand? I like a little different, a little difference, a little something. Give me something. You understand? It's really not a coincidence, though, that so many influential and inspiring producers, you know, 
potentially of your generation and before from Detroit all reference Mojo. You know, everyone talks about Mojo. You know, that influence, you know, obviously had an effect on so many people whose records we all enjoy today from different genres as well. So can you talk to us about that radio show and, and what it was and what the experience of listening to that show was like? Well, it was incredible. Nowadays, imagine at a red light, you bumping your shit in your car at a red light. The motherfucker next to you bumping the same shit. So now you're getting that stereo effect. Now you got a motherfucker behind you bumping that same shit. Now on to the left bumping that same shit. Now he gets on the radio and asks you, if you in your car flick on your lights, and then you realize you're in a traffic jam and everybody's flicking on their motherfucking lights, and you realize everybody's listening to the same goddamn thing. That's the effect the mojo had. If you're not in your car, you could be at home. When he asks you to flick on them lights, you get on your front porch and you flicking on the lights. You look out the window, the whole neighborhood on fire. You understand? He asks you to tie a rope. Tie a knot. When you're still slipping, keep hanging. You understand? That's how he talked to people. And it made it seem like he was, you was in the room with him or either he was in the room with you. It was a true blessing to have a DJ like that. And unfortunately... Most people never got to see Mojo. That was one thing he was really adamant about. You hear him on the radio, but you ain't going to see him nowhere. He ain't going to pop up at the Hot 95 Hot Show, and he's up in there DJing. You ain't going to know what he looked like, which a lot of that has to brush off on us. Like, you wonder why you are like certain things. You wonder why, like I am, I like certain things. A lot of us has that to do with that. Besides having felonies and other things, there ain't no telling who's looking for us. You know, but my identity is not important about what I do. What I look like is not important. What motherfucking color I am is not important. So, yeah, I do tend to hide myself behind certain situations. But I do that at home. Again, I'm not going to get out here and change my ways because I'm out here in front of somebody I don't know. You know, I'm not going to get out here and lie to nobody. Again, what I will do is give you the truth. And the truth is sitting in this yellow-ass chair. I don't tell the motherfucker around the corner what I'm doing all the motherfucking time. Why am I going to tell the rest of the fucking world? That has a lot to do with my attitude of growing up in Detroit. You can't tell everybody everything. They will come get you. They will take from you. And they might even shoot you. That's the reality. Well, in my environment, in my Detroit. You see, I live in Detroit. I don't live in Romulus where the plane lands and you think you're in Detroit. I don't live in Southfield and you think you're in Detroit. I don't live on the outskirts. I think I've said this before. I don't drive through that motherfucker. I drive in it. You understand? And that's where I am. You know. So my identity and what I do is very not important. My story is the same sad story we done heard a million times. But when you're talking about, you know, staying anonymous like Mojo, like you are, or was did you do that by accident because you didn't think it was important or was it on purpose that you sort of stayed away from people knowing what you look like and all that performing behind the sheet and all of that stuff? Is that is that a sort of, you know, was that on purpose to, to keep a bit mysterious? It wasn't really on purpose. I mean, it was kind of like the first motherfucker to ask me to come to Europe. 
I think I hung up on him. You know, I thought it was some kind of scam or something. And what you want to come for me out there for? To be honest with you, and please, I'm not a racist, but I had no idea so many white folks was listening to my music, and I refused. And my grandfather would say the same thing. To be in a bar playing this music and thinking y'all going to start throwing cans and sticks or something at me because I had no idea what the fuck was going on over here. And you have to understand, white folks in Detroit are totally different from around the world. Y'all grew up around a whole world of people. I mean, the respect here is incredible. I'm not saying everybody in Detroit is racist or nothing like that. But the only time I saw white folks, you come to cut my gas off, you come and take my, my father to jail, it's always bad news. It was nothing, you know, spectacular, you know. So for me to be behind the sheet or something like you're saying, which pretty much done on purpose because my identi- identity was not, in per- not, not important. Not that I don't want to pretend like I was a white man or a black man or any other race. I just wanted people to hear my music. Fuck the DJ. The talent is on the turntables, you know, and that's the truth. And them turntables ain't going to lie if I'm standing behind them. There was sort of, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I can speak for the UK that, you know, certainly in the late 90s, there was almost a, there was almost, you could describe it like a cult type following of your records. Like if a new one came into the record shop, people would just buy it without listening to it based on even a one-sided KDJ record. So in a sense, some of that mystery sometimes worked a bit because it made people a bit more intrigued. Was that a sort of organic thing that just happened? Or did you, did you cultivate it a bit when you could feel that well, happening? Well, I didn't know nothing about that for a while until people started telling me, you know, why you hide, come on out, do this. And then, it, then I realized, well, this is helping a situation out in a way. But it's still not going to affect my decision with what this grown man is doing out here. You understand? No one's going to affect my decision. If it worked out for me, that's great. But I'm still only going to press up 2,500 copies. You know, that's why in today's economic situation, they ask, well, you know, vinyl's out, vinyl's this. But I've never pressed up 10,000 motherfucking vinyls. Where now i got to break down to 25. I've always done 2,500. So it's never been a downfall, but it's never been an uplift for me. And I'm satisfied. You're talking to a man who really never had a lot of money. So just a little bit I'm fine with. And with that little bit, I can share that with some people. I can bring people places. I can get shoes for that little cat up the street. And I can help people out in my neighborhood. And that's more than a lot of people in my neighborhood is doing. And I'm satisfied with that. If I die tomorrow, I am okay with that. You know? And I'm still going to do 2500 And you've had, you know, the pleasure and you've been fortunate enough now to travel all over the world. You know, I know when I go to Japan, you've got a huge following there. What are, you, what are some of your favorite places, musically speaking, to have visited? Some of the most rewarding places that you've had the pleasure of, of traveling to? Oh, man, the east side of Detroit's incredible. I hit it every weekend. You got to go. Uh, Southwest is out cold. We, we, we got our, uh, our Spaniards down there. They be teaching me all kind of shit. West side is my Rome. That's a bad motherfucker over there. We got some kings over there. That's where Juan and all of us at. Uh, besides that, I would have to say the rest of the world. So every time I DJ with you, you know, every time I'm in a club with you, you go on and the first thing you do is you get the record like really like that and you go, hear that? That's vinyl. 
and then you pick it up every single time you pick it up and go I'm playing vinyl I'm playing vinyl you're you're very much about the vinyl preservation society right you're goddamn right I still got my daddy's record collection shit I like vinyl I could touch it I could feel it do you know what 60 year old vinyl smell like no you don't you got your iPod you don't know the history, I have records that smell like 1967. You understand? You cannot place that in an iPod. Uh, I believe I can speak for most women in here, and I know you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> when it comes to music, most women prefer 12 inches. You keep that in mind next time you're with your laptop. Okay. Right. Or you might have to have some insurance with a laptop because I'm sure at one point that motherfucker will crash. You know, but everybody got to do their own thing. You know, at the end of the day, everybody hasn't collected like I have or like Benji has or like a lot of us in here do. I have I have neighborhood children that they're not going out getting no goddamn vinyl. You know, they're 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 doing anything on they they're they're making tracks on laptops now. You could do a lot of things to the computer and they're making good shit too. So I, I'm not denying it. I'm just stating my point and where I come from. And a lot of it has to do, I can't I couldn't afford laptops and shit. And I still don't understand that shit. I got a laptop, I don't know what the fuck to do with that motherfucker. You understand? I I I I, I could turn the bitch on. You know, I could I could do some shit. Then I find out it's a fucking camera on the motherfucker. First thing I did was shut it back down again. You know, I, I you know that shit scares me. But at the the, re, the the reality of it is that we are moving on with technology. I'm the only ignorant around here stuck in 1984, and I'm gonna stay there. I'm not trying to update my analog old ass system downstairs. It's been treating me fine. And I know it. Just like the cat up the street that has his laptop doing his music. He knows his, uh, his uh, logic. He knows his FL. That's what he knows. That's what he gets down on. You understand? That's technology. That's moving forward. I can't tell him to come to my analog situation and ask him to do something down there. He's totally lost. I have a daughter. You know how your kids go to school for uh, show and tell. You know, uh, they go to show, you know, my daddy, he's, he does uh, such and such. My mom does such and such. Well, my daughter gets up in front of the class and say, yeah, maybe so, but my daddy got the big CDs. <laughs> you know, and all the kids are like, what the fuck is that? But then all the teachers are like, yeah. You know, but technology moves on. You know, I'm, I'm not doubting or confining anybody for using today's technology because I have children in my own neighborhood go to libraries and make beats on uh, on uh, on laptops and computers. I don't care how you make the motherfucker. Just make the motherfucker. You know, me personally, my old ass system, it's fine. Shit's still working, and I'm not going to break what's working. And then they treated me well, like I told you earlier. The, those are Those are my motherfuckers, you know. Until they break down and die, I can't fix them again. I'm in no hurry to change my situation. I don't know what my sound sounds like. But whatever it is, it works just enough for me 
to be satisfied and I'm comfortable. And again, I've never got into this to be traveling around the world to be such and such or nothing like this. I do it because it's comfortable and it's it's comfortable for more or less for my heart and soul. And it puts me in a position to help my own personal neighborhood out. And I take full advantage of that. And like, again, I never had a whole lot, but what little bit I do have, I'm blessed. And, and I'm going to keep it that way. So it's not a principle thing then? Because sometimes you do make it sound like it's like, it's a principle. You've got to play on vinyl or you're not playing sort of thing. It's more like that's what you know. Well, I'm talking about myself. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you the truth. I got records and I'm going to play these motherfucking records. I'm not demanding nobody else do it. But it is a shame that you have people with record companies that sell vinyl. I have a record company and I come to your show and play laptops. I don't sell Apple computers. I sell records, but I'm promoting Apple computers. That doesn't say your record company on there. You want people to buy your records, but you're promoting laptops. That don't make sense to me. And I'm not saying you don't have to. Or at least bring one or two when the motherfucker fuck up on your ass. You understand? At least keep the motherfucking party rolling. A record may skip, but that bitch is still popping. You know, a laptop, that bitch motherfucker shut down, that bitch gonna shut down. Laptop is not really performed in huge clubs where humidity is high, people are smoking, they're sweating, the club is hot. Sometimes technology is not aware of those conditions. Vinyl's been used to that condition since the 60s. Think about it. Think about jazz in the 50s. Nina Simone and all that. The motherfuckers wasn't doing nothing but smoking cigars and smoking them, in them speakeasies. Vinyl, them test, test the time. We done went cassettes, eight tracks, CDs. What was that shit? Laser discs? Mini discs. I don't give a fuck what you say. Benji B still bought vinyl in this motherfucker. The test of time. I do have a library. My library is vinyl. I have an extensive library. A lot of that's my father's, mama's, grandfather's record. I ain't going to sit here and say I bought all that shit. I ain't going to even lie to But it's a blessing to pull out a big piece of vinyl with my grandmama's name on it. I mean, that's priceless to me. Vinyl is something I can see. I can smell. I can touch. I can't get that from no iPod. There's nothing wrong with iPods and doing your thing because I have one as well. But mine's a big ghetto blaster. And I have to honestly say, my iPod is bigger than yours. You understand? But, yeah, I'm a vinyl motherfucker. I sell vinyl. I do. I'm slowly getting into the download thing because that's, that's big right now. Download, you know, uh, iTunes, B-Port, you know. We've got children into that. They, they, that's new technology coming. Yeah, I, I have to get involved. I have to continue on. But I'm always going to support vinyl. You understand? My, my man needs somebody sitting in his lap. I see him sleeping over here. I ain't going to say nothing about it, though. That's cool. He need a drink. <laughs> all right since you're talking about um you know collecting records as genres you're talking about jazz 
you know, sometimes when people talk about Kenny Dixon Jr., they say, oh, it's Detroit Techno or it's Soulful House or it's this, that and the other. Do you see yourself, you know, I, I suddenly realized that we're talking about music, assuming that a lot of people are familiar with your music. Um, how would you describe it? You know, how would you describe your music? Do you see yourself as part of a genre or, or is it beyond that? No, it's difficult. I mean, I'm no more here in around Europe and the world as a DJ or KDJ, whereas in Detroit, I'm more known as a live musician at times. I'm in Detroit at my grandfather's club telling my DJ, I do this, they'd be like, what the fuck if you don't play that? Whatever you do, what you doing DJing? We don't like them, but they took our jobs years ago, you know. It's a different genre. You know, you go to one place, I'm in jazz. Another place, I'm in techno. Or I'm in, uh, you know, you come to my house, a perfect example. You come to my house, you look at my vinyl collection. There's one category. You better know the name of the artist because that's the category he's in. Alphabetical. And that's to categorize. Now, people ask me, well, what kind of music do you like? Well, I prefer to like pretty good music. You know, I, there's, there's good and there's real good. You know, and... and just like some, just like any artwork, there's some music you want to hang around. There's some music you don't want to hang around. There's music you like to see and like to do your thing with, just like a pretty woman, you know. There's, there's, there's different types of music. As far as my genre is concerned, I don't care where you put me at. It's not my... It, it, that's all color color to me, you know. That don't make a difference to me. I have so much material, you know. If I was lower blessed that it doesn't happen here. And if it does happen, make sure it's in Detroit. But if I was to pass away, I probably got 30 albums sitting up in my catalog if you put about 20 tracks on each one. Let me tell you something. That don't mean they all good listening now. Because Lord no, I made a lot of whack shit. You know, and I ain't gonna lie to you. That's why that shit up in that motherfucking library now. Nah, I, I don't want to hear that shit no more. But like I may make 20 mixes of one track. Often what I would do is I would put one or two on this side, one or two on the other side, and they'll all call the same thing, but you'd be amazed with how many mixes you may end up finding if you go to each individual A and B side, depending on what country you actually bought the 12-inch in. It's rare, but every once in a while, someone would call me and say, hey, man, uh, is there... Somebody's bootlegging. I think, I don't know, but there's something going on. I bought the same record for a friend of mine somewhere else, and there's a different track. No, that was planned. It was well planned. A lot of it has to do with, I didn't want to change the labels because, you know, nigga can't afford all that now. But then they say, well, how you can afford different mastering? Well, that's my secret. But I like my shows right now in Detroit. Because I have a small audience that follow me, and I'm comfortable with that. So, for people that haven't attended one, do you want to just paint the picture? Because you say you know freaky shit, and it's all a bit mysterious. But you know your records are long, hot, sexy nights, and it's freaky motherfucker and all that stuff. What's going? What's going on? Well, what's on the rider? Well, the rider is always going to be a bed. The rider always going to be a sheet in front of the bed because I don't have the license to legally do what I'm supposed to do the right proper way. So you put a sheet up and I could pretend like I'm doing it as far as the crowd is concerned. I'm pretending. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily pretending. 
Um, the show is set up kind of bluesy. If you want to speak on a freaky bluesy. I rarely do anything that I've released live. If it's on vinyl, don't expect it for me to do it on that stage. What I do love to do on stage is unreleased product. More or less vocally stuff. When I say vocal, I'm not no great singer. I ain't going to get up there and get Beyonce on your motherfucking ass. I'm just talking shit. But it's the truth. You know, I consider it more of a bluesy thing. I don't have to know how to sing. I'm just going to tell you about my environment. If you're willing to listen for the situation, it's going to be a great show. If you think I'm going to be in tune, on time, hitting the notes and all that, it's going to be a whack show. You're going to hate it, you know. But I'm not up there to give you that. I'm up there, to, again, to tell the truth. Um, the show could be about 60 minutes long. Beautiful, beautiful sisters involved. I have a three-piece that can extend to a five-piece band. Um... Drum machines do a lot of the show as far as the percussions is concerned. Andres is usually on percussions as well. Um, Melody's on uh, keyboards and guitars. I fuck with the keys as well. Andres DJ Dez, right? Andres DJ Dez. There you go. Slum Village, uh, did all that shit. He would be on percussions. Um, often Amp was sitting on, on things, but Amp, you know, he he's popping around every goddamn where. You know, you can't, you know he's doing his thing, but uh, as far as the band that's behind me, it's a very unknown band. That's as far as what you what you would consider. They don't travel beyond the east side, you know. But they know the set well, you know. And I'm comfortable with that. But I'm not comfortable to take it, you know, anywhere else beyond that. That's just my personal thing. It's like my personal baby. And, it's, and you have to be selfish. You can't give everything to everybody. All the motherfucking time. You know, I think the world or everybody else is satisfied with the tracks that I'm playing or that I'm creating. And that's what I'm offering at the time. As far as my live situation, that's not that's not for sale right now. That's for my enjoyment. You know, and I appreciate jumping on stage, doing the fuck I want to do, doing you know, I don't get paid for it. But it's it's a great rehearsal. That's exactly what it is. And then I don't have to worry about the police busting in and all that shit. I can get freaky and do, do my shit behind that fucking curtain and get down. Have you got in trouble anywhere around the world? Oh, from? yeah, of course. Don't be silly. <laughs> Banned from any country? Yeah, Texas. I can't go to Texas. <laughs> I better not show my face in Canada. That's the truth. They're going to they're gonna take your ass. You know, you know the situation. And uh, I think that's about it. I've been uh, Canada's not happening. I can't go to Canada. Uh, Texas, not even trying to get around there neither. Other than that, I can kind of maneuver my spot, my places. And you were saying about, you know, people, you, that is, you're not going to get to hear music that you've released when you're doing your live stuff. I've been at your live shows and everyone's going, Shades of J, you know, Black Mahogany. That's not going to happen. Now, I may yeah. get on a piano or something and probably do a little medley or something, but I'm not going to, y'all motherfuckers have heard that shit a million times. I'm not going to get up there. I'm tired of that shit, you know. More than likely, before I release a track, by the time the consumer gets a hold of it, I'm totally tired of that motherfucker. And that's the truth. Not to say I could never play it again, but I may extend it on some shows, but don't expect it. And beyond that, you have done a couple of 12s that are considered so classic and they were in the boxes of, you know, so many DJs for so long that it almost has to be a special occasion to play it now. You know, do you get tired of getting requests for Shades of J all the time? Because I'm going to play it. Never. Never get tired of it. Not, 
requesting it, no. Again, you can ask me anything. I ain't got the answer to nothing. Requesting it, no. I don't get too many requests. I think a lot of people are kind of aware that if I do bring records to your club, trust me, there's nothing in my crate that's on a KDJ label unless it's unreleased. Now, I may bring some unreleased stuff or, you know, a lot of times I will play some stuff that I'm trying out, seeing where my levels are. The bass too loud, you know. I'm still a fan. I'm probably still the world's biggest fan still. So I, I like to play. I mean, there, do you know how much talent it is in this world to get up there and actually play my own shit? That's not going to happen. There's too much talent out here. My man right here, if he gives me a CD of 14 tracks, I would rather play one or two of his tracks than my own shit. Because more than likely, whoever's here to see me, more than likely, not to say 100%, but probably heard one of my tracks before he is over there. And if I sign something on there that I halfway appreciate, I think it's up to me to share that. You know, because if I don't share it, who will? You heard that shit before. You done probably bought it. You know, it doesn't need promoting anymore. This man, you don't know what situation he could be in. You know, if it's a nice track and it's acceptable in my mind, I'm going to play that motherfucker. You know, and it, it has nothing to do with where he's from, where he's at, or or he doesn't have a vinyl. I don't, you know, it's a CD. I will play it, you know, long before I will play mine. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon, Kenny Dixon. I'd like to um, ask everyone to join me in saying thank you, Mr. Moody Man, the full crew. Thank you, ladies, as well. And um, thank you for Mahogany Massive. Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Academy. The Red Bull Music Academy is a world-traveling series of music workshops and festivals. Almost every year since 1998, we've done the main Academy event in one city. But we do events around the world throughout the year. And among other things, we've got an online radio station and an online magazine. In short, it's a lot of stuff, but it's all pretty cool, in my opinion anyway. If you want to find out more for yourself, you can check us out at Red Bull. Music Academy dot com. <laughs>